Every team, every topic, everywhere, this is Believe. Hey, everybody. It's still an exciting time of the year for sports. Tomorrow night, UFC 247, Jones versus Reyes. And without a doubt, people are going to be looking to get in on the action. We have the best place for you to go. My bookie, if you're the kind of guy who likes to bet a little to win a lot, try a parlay. For instance, if you like a couple of the big favorites this week, parlays are perfect because they let you bet multiple games together for a much bigger payout. My bookie has more lines and better odds for the player than any other sports book around. And if you join right now, right now, Davis, if you join right now, Davis Ford and Andre Fitz, my bookie will match your deposit halfway all the way up to $1,000. That means if you deposit two grand right now, you get an extra grand in free money to play with. All you have to do is use our promo code BLV, that's capital BLV, to activate the offer. Once again, that promo code is capital BLV to get your extra cash from my bookie. Bet, win, get paid. My bookie today is Friday, February 7th. 2020 a lot of mlb news going on a lot of nba news going on with the trade deadline we got our flashback friday interview of the week american baseball collector zach hample will be on the show but for now we have two very special guests in studio camelback hall phoenix arizona grand canyon university havoc's leader andre fitz havoc davis ford i'm back davis (laughs) is back davis loves coming back on the show it's one of my favorite times of the year one of the most wonderful times of the day with Davis Ford. You guys want to talk MLB news, NBA news. I know Andre wants to get a little into WWE. Oh, yeah. Thank you, Michael Cole, for enunciating the shit out of WWE. Mm-hmm. Oh, my God. Can we get a better announcers? <laughs> I like Michael Cole. I, I, I prefer Mario Ronaldo better than Michael Cole. Well, Mario Ronaldo has, has to get his crap together, I feel yeah. like. Well, I'm a big NXT guy, so what can I say? <laughs> I could use a Mamma Mia call every once yeah, in a while, especially on Raw and SmackDown where the ratings are just dipping. It's like up, up, down, 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 more down. Go AEW, though. Yeah, <laughs> you could use JR right now. Yeah. <laughs> Best in the biz. You excited about uh, Super Showdown? I am. Uh, really? I am because... I was being sarcastic. No, I am because of one thing only, the total destruction of Ricochet. <laughs> <laughs> Poor guy. Because he's gonna he's get got cool. so much potential. He he has the the sky is the limit for that guy, and it's just gonna be incredible how bad he's gonna get destroyed by Brock, Brock Lesnar. I mean, hopefully Drew McIntyre, you know, is gonna come and save the day. Well, I think they're setting up McIntyre for the big win at WrestleMania because they can't go another day with having Lesnar as champion not showing up half the time. But Ricochet, like, why bury him? Exactly, that's what I'm thinking. Why not go, it's Super Showdown, it's basically a giant house show. So why not go, why not give people the match that they wanted in Brock Lesnar versus Bobby Lashley? That's the match everyone's wanted to see, regardless of both their situations, they're both heels, but... Also, the match that everyone wants to see is Matt Riddle versus uh, Brock Brock Lesnar. Matt Riddle versus Goldberg, apparently they they want to do Goldberg versus The Fiend at uh, Super Showdown. It works, though, because he needs another huge win going into Yeah, the I mean, ever since the last Super Showdown with The Undertaker, and was that the last Super Showdown, The Undertaker oh, versus Oh, yeah, Goldberg? The Undertaker versus Goldberg, oh, my oh, God. That was, they that was to, scary. They, so apparently they were going to do The Undertaker versus Sting at this Super Showdown, but Sting wasn't cleared to compete. Yeah, I mean, ever they since... They both would have died. <laughs> ever since the last time that happened with Sting and Seth Rollins, I'm like, I've been scared of, like... Staying or The Undertaker every step in foot in the WWE ring again. But, you know, it's just going to be another messed up show for WWE. I mean, <laughs> go NXT, though. I'm really excited for TakeOver, but besides that, 
Yeah. Well, that's where the ratings are. It's NXT mm-hmm. versus AEW on Wednesday nights. Yeah. Edge coming back, I guess that kind of will bring up the ratings for all when he shows up. Because mm-hmm. I guess he's on a part-time contract now. Yeah. Well, yeah, I mean, the, that was a great segment, though. Randy Orton back again with his, like, voices in his head, I think, is going to be, like, the whole segment about. Uh, it's going to be incredible. I'm really excited. Uh, he did a phenomenal job of just dismantling Edge with the chairs. I thought it was incredible. Uh, it definitely Can you imagine me. if he actually heard him and he just couldn't come Oh, uh, I would have been so him. pissed, though, because that Royal Rumble pop was probably one of the best things. Like, I was shocked. I was, uh, I was sitting in this room just eating my Panda Express, just watching, like, <laughs> all right, Lesnar eliminates Big E. Lesnar eliminates Mysterio. Mm. Lesnar eliminates Ricochet. Yeah. We could do this all night. Yeah. And then Drew McIntyre, like I said, yeah. bring him back again full circle. He's been on a roll lately. He's been getting pushed. He's going to be a great champion coming up. I think he probably, he's definitely going to lose to Brock Lesnar. At WrestleMania, I mean, my fingers are going to I hope, I hope not. I hope he doesn't, because that was just going to, like, everything that he built is just going to go crashing down. But I feel like this is the first time in a while that WWE's actually gone with the hot hand. Like, Drew McIntyre didn't really have a program mm-hmm. leading up to the Royal Rumble. No, he was, what, partnered, partnering up with Baron Corbin for a little bit, then just out of nowhere. Now he's, like, one of the biggest baby faces. Yeah, I know. He was, like, yeah. Speaking of Baron Corbin, I hate that guy. Oh, my God. They say he's a great heel, like he's doing his job. No. But at the same time, like, we just don't like him as no. a The, the as whole as a segment with Roman Reigns. The dog food. Oh, that's just horrible. It's disgusting. I, I'm like, why? Like, it makes no sense. Like, just have Roman Reigns win the first match and then end it. After that. But I guess I'm trying to push his King of the Ring gimmick, but besides that, I, I don't but like But he's it. not really going to have a program going into Mania where Roman Reigns is probably going to face the Fiend for the Universal mm. title, which... Shocked me. I thought he was going to win the Royal Rumble match. Yeah. No, I thought so, too. I thought uh, he was going to do that, and then he was going to either face Brock Lesnar or The Fiend. Most likely The Fiend. Um, the Fiend has been on the roll lately. It's been incredible. Great character. They can't They can't bury him No, at this there's point. no way. Even if, if they make him put Reigns over WrestleMania, that it's, ruins everything. He's going to go back into the everyone hits Roman Reigns mode. Which was a, a big deal, like in two, three years. It was going to be like that if he won the Rumble the other week. Yeah, yeah, it would have been you like that. You heard the booze when he eliminated Edge. Yeah, uh, yeah. I was really hoping uh, we get like an AJ Styles Edge match. Like, and then he hurt him. And then he hurt him. And then, and then Edge speared the crap out of AJ Styles, and they just saw this like, his just, shoulder. Yeah, right. Yeah, I was like, wow. Like AJ Styles, probably my favorite WWE superstar right yeah. now, and he. Oh, I was so disappointed because I saw him like I saw the whole thing I'm like AJ Styles looks clearly hurt like he's in pain <laughs> like and that then, didn't, he did not land well no exactly that. That and, and I remember like looking at him he's like probably like talking to Edge and like eliminate me now because my shoulders like hurt or something and it was just a simple elimination I was like oh okay that was weird but so sad he's probably not going to make Wrestlemania let's see no. well that's yeah I mean the original plan was Styles versus Orton again for like the second year in a row which made uh, no yeah. sense to me I mean, I thought they were going to go with Edge versus Styles if he didn't get hurt. Yeah. I, 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 that, that's the angle I was hoping for. And then Randy Orton probably coming in to help because you're going to have the OC helping uh, AJ and then Randy probably coming to help Edge and that'll be like the big pop at WrestleMania. Yeah. I, I think the big thing with Edge coming back, they wanted to put him up against someone that he was familiar with mm-hmm. or with someone that they knew that they could trust to not hurt him. Yeah, like they weren't going to put him up against like Seth Rollins, which like there's a storyline there mm-hmm. kind of because he like threatened to like break his neck. On TV a few years ago, yeah, I remember. Uh, that. But Seth Rollins is just notoriously known for injuring everybody he steps in the ring with. Oh like my Finn God. Balor, he hurt. Yes. Sting, he hurt. 
he just hurts everybody. Yeah, I but know. I think they wanted him to go into the ring with someone like Orton, who he's familiar with, who's stepped in the ring yeah. with, so he doesn't get hurt. I agree with that. I mean, the huge pop of uh, bringing rated RKO back was just incredible. Uh, I, that was one. Well, of that the was like the big pop. Like, yeah. What do you think about bringing this back? And then uh, out of nowhere, probably mm-hmm. one of the biggest heel turns in recent memory. Yeah, I mean. Yeah, because I mean, Randy Orton was phase going into like the babyface mode but by beating AJ Styles multiple weeks and same with the OC, and it was just like I was not expecting it. I mean, I should have knowing Randy Orton, but that was just uh, like I said, the whole segment, everything about it was just incredible. Like, and then yeah, but yeah, I'm more excited. Like, uh, I keep going back to NXT because. That's the brand I've been like watching, and I, yeah. I kind of fell in love. That's the brand that made me fall back in love with wrestling. I dropped Vince it. doesn't run it. It's awesome. Yeah, it's amazing. Uh, I love it. I love seeing like small guys like Tommaso Ciampa and and Johnny Gargano and and Finn Balor getting like their bright spots. Adam Cole. Kevin Owens would go back there. Oh my God, in a heartbeat. Perfectly. Yeah, like he made. Uh, think over at War Games. When he went back for war games, yeah, everyone right, freaked yeah. out. Everyone was like completely amazed about that. That was probably also one of the biggest pops of the year, probably. Um, oh, but the the match that I'm really looking forward to is uh, Johnny Gargano versus Finn Balor. I don't know if you saw the segment of last Wednesday, but it was just I I, I don't know who's gonna win. That's like one of the first times in many years that I'm like, okay, I have no idea who's gonna win. This Balor's match. still the heel on that feud. But yeah, Balor's still the heel. But he, the, Johnny. Uh, Johnny Wrestling brought up a great point of, uh, yeah, and like he, about him losing to Bobby Lashley like seven weeks in a row on Raw, and, and he was completely burying Finn Balor, and I was like, whoa, I, w- I was not expecting him to like bring that back. Right, mm-hmm. Exactly. So that was like amazing. Um, yeah, Johnny Wrestling, also one of my favorite wrestlers, and I also recently got my girlfriend into wrestling. Like, she likes watching uh, wrestling now. Like, genuinely? Yeah, like, like she's, she, she's actually asking me, like, okay. Sure? Yeah, like, like I, I showed her that I was watching the Royal Rumble, and she was like, what are you watching? And she just started watching with me, and I don't know where she's like, she's, she fell in love with the women's uh, division. It's, wow. Yeah, like, she, she, she thinks, it's, like, she's she, Naomi. She yeah, <laughs> she loves Naomi, uh, uh, Rhea Ripley, and... Uh, Bianca Belair, she thought those were like phenomenal athletes. Like she went right behind the baby faces. I Sooner guess. or later, she's just gonna start watching the network. Yeah, we without me. <laughs> that was me when I was like thirteen. My brother grew up watching it. I'm like, that's stupid. And then I watched like one episode. I'm like, hmm, not that bad. And I started sneaking it. I'd go back between like a Yankee game and like Raw. My dad would walk in and be like, just watching the Yankee game in here. Yeah, no. Nothing uh, to see here. Yeah, that's fun though. Yeah, like. I think a couple of days ago I showed her like one of my favorite matches was probably the one that got me into watching wrestling was um, uh, WrestleMania 33 Money in the Bank. That one had like Mr. Kennedy, MVP. Oh, is that the one where Punk won? Yeah, Punk won that one. Like that that was the one match that got me into wrestling. That got me like starting like more and more. Like I used to see like a couple matches here and there. And yeah. That one got me and then she just fell in love with it. And I'm like, okay, well. Let's see where this goes. I don't know how long this is going to take. But now she keeps punching me every once in a while, so it's like a double-edged shirt now. So. Yeah, it, it's, <laughs> it's the right time of the year. So the next takeover is going to be the night before Mania. Yep. And Mania 36 on April 7th, 3rd, 2nd. First somewhere week in around, April. Yeah, somewhere around those 2020, times. Tampa Bay, Florida. Davis is like, can we talk about sports now? <laughs> like three names in WWE. Which ones? AJ Styles. Uh, obviously John Cena because, you know, John Cena. And then The Undertaker. Wow. And two of those guys aren't there anymore. So you're out of touch. I haven't watched in like two years, three years. But like, yeah. 
I keep reminding them every once in a while. I put something in our group chat like, oh, watch the superstar came back, or like, oh, look at this yeah. moment. And then, like, Andre, we don't care. I'll watch, I'll watch <laughs> like, Royal Rumble when all the madness starts to happen. That, that's the best pay-per-view yeah. to watch. Yeah. And then I'll watch uh, Mania every once in a while, but nothing else really in between. So, Mookie Betts. <laughs> Mookie Betts changing the, the Los Angeles yeah. Dodgers unofficially because uh, someone's not healthy enough to complete the trade. I mean, I don't <laughs> do that. So, what? Uh, it's Mookie Betts, David Price, and his ridiculous contract heading to the Los Angeles Dodgers. Thank money, you for money, that money. Payroll. For Alex Verdugo and Cash, and then Kenta Maeda is going to be heading to the Twins, and the Twins are sending. Someone over to the Red Sox, it's not going to be that uh, prospect be anymore. Nope. I saw some people speculating that Barrios was going to have to go and that the trade was going to fall through. Spicy. That's not what you like to hear. No, it's not. No. But not for Dodgers fans, not at least. Fans. <laughs> <laughs> but, yeah, it's, it's going to be interesting to see how this trade falls through if Crowdwell can't go. I mean, they're still the favorites in the NL regardless, but this is like the icing on the cake I mean, with Mookie Betts in that lineup. See, yeah, they're going to hit a lot. <laughs> But I think they're going to be way too top-heavy in the lineup. I don't know how they're Not gonna necessarily. I, I mean, don't they don't have a lot of star power at the bottom of their order. Yeah, but I just don't know how that bottom of the order is going to do with all the top-heavy names. Like, you have to live up to those names that start off the order. So it's going to be Mookie Betts, Justin Turner, Cody Bellinger. Yeah. Gavin Lux. Gavin Lux. He's, is he going to be in the part of that order? Um, He'll probably be in the bottom probably, third. He'll probably bat fifth. Uh, who am I forget? Is Russell Martin still on that team? No. He's going to be Will Smith. Or Beatty, one of those two. And then you also have Corey Seager. Right. Oh, he'll probably, it'll probably go Betts, Seager, uh, Turner, Bellinger, Lux. So have AJ Pollock in the mix somewhere. Oh, AJ Pollock. If he can stay healthy. There's another random outfielder that I'm probably missing, and I'm going to keep Not Jock Peterson. Not Jock Peterson. Calling him Jock Patterson because it makes people mad. Explain. Well, his name's got a D in it instead of a T, so I've just naturally called him Patterson. And then there's like, like a, a Jade Peterson somewhere who used to play for the Braves, yeah. and I would always get those two mixed up. I'm oh, like, yeah. they have the same last name, but it's uh, pronounced differently. But uh, yeah, it is what it is. I think the Dodgers. See, I st- I still take bold takes because I like to stir the pot a little bit. So I've been saying even with this trade, the Padres are still going to win the division if they're healthy. Ah, I'm a Padres fan, so that makes me happy. Well, it's a Davis take. It is a Davis take. But it's, it's not Tom Ferducci or Ken Rosenthal <laughs> over here. But I like to stay bold. And stand out. Yeah, stand out. We are presented by Belly Up Sports. Yes, we are. <laughs> um, but yeah, I just like that. I just like Tatis way too much to not want the Padres to, you know, do something good with themselves. <laughs> I don't I don't know what to say to that. I mean, it's Machado, Tatis, Hosmer. They got the talent. I mean, I don't think they're ready just yet. Yeah. Especially, especially if this trade goes through. There's no way anybody's competing with the Dodgers. They won a franchise best 106 last year. Something like that, yeah. They choked against the Nationals, but that might not. Howie Kendrick. Shout out Kyle Borg. Howie Kendrick. DC Sports. Kyle Borg. Yep. Respond to my texts, you son of a bitch. <laughs> <laughs> but, uh, yeah, but at the end of the day, Daniel's going to be a tough road that goes through New York. Are you talking about the Mets? That's right. I am talking <laughs> about the Mets. Oh, Mets-Yankees rivalry over here. The Mets. You heard me right. 
It's, I think it's the Nationals division to lose. It'll be close. I, the, Nas- the Mets will be competitive. The Nationals lost so much, though, in Rendon. Like, they got to find somewhere to score another 130 runs that they just lost being produced last year. Talk about losses. I think Carlos Beltran not managing a single game with the Mets I don't is comical. I think it is pretty funny because, honestly, that's where the Mets offseason. That, that was the one manager where fans were like, I can get behind this. Fan and favorite. I love Carlos Beltran. And then the Cohen deal for uh, buying the team with the World Palms. Just oh, yeah. That, that just, yeah. That's just the Mets offseason this year. But at the same time, the guy that This year. That's like been the Mets year, franchise for the past 40 the years. Franchise, what am I saying? Yeah. We're, in the, we're under the World Palms. It happens. Um, yeah. But the manager they did hire, I think that was the right backup hire to make because he's a well-respected manager through the minor league system that they already have. So he's comfortable with a lot of the guys that we have homegrown. But a lot of the guys like him and respect him about what he does for the baseball team and how he manages the game. So I think it's a good fit. Which is the type of manager you want, you know. Carlos Beltran, I think, had the potential to be a great manager. That's more of one of those signs, like a big name, has a great potential, but you don't really know what you're getting. And obviously a big part of that cheating scandal in 2017, you couldn't have that. I was kind of shocked when they when they fired him. I feel like he was going to be the one that was going to get away with it because he was a player at the time. Obviously, Cora is going to get slammed once this inv- investigation's over. I feel bad for Cora. He might be blackballed or just banned. Who knows? I don't feel bad for him. I mean, he's the one who started it. Yeah. It's just a matter of time, though. And the fact that he kind of, I mean, he didn't specifically bring over the same scheme in Boston, but the fact that they're just under investigation for cheating, and they both won World Series, Boston and Houston, it looks terrible for him. What do you think of the whole uh, buzzer? I don't know. I, I don't know how to They don't have that. enough I, to... I don't know they, they can actually prove the buzzer thing. I think we've seen enough clips of where the trash can is being banged where they can prove that. Well, that that's that's already confirmed, I feel like. But I just don't know about the buzzers. I don't know... Like, those that. videos of Altuve make him look awful. Oh, it, it looks terrible, but there's, I don't know that there's any way to But at the same it. time, the, I think the only way you can prove that is if, like, the person who, like, had the buzzer had, like, the remote control. It just comes out, yeah. That's the only way. Because I feel like that was a player thing as opposed to a team thing. It was only a few of them doing it if that, if that was the case. Yep. I still think the best part about all of these scandals coming out is Pete Rose trying to get reinstated. <laughs> well, that's the th- let's say this buzzer thing is true. This is ten times worse than any other thing that any – well, the Black Sox. I mean, throwing games in the World Series. I mean, come on. Pete Rose, if anything, he's – I mean, unless he's totally lying, he bet on the Reds to win every night. It's not like he was ruining the integrity of the game. He wasn't I throwing. Mean, he still the all-time hits leader. Yeah, one of the greatest ever uh, lace of paracletes, if you will. And I, 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 I don't think that he's – I mean, he's in the wrong for gambling on games. Yeah. He can't be doing that. But at the same time, he did not ruin the integrity of the game where the Houston Astros, I think, with their, their already confirmed scandal alone, have done that. I think what they've already done is worse than what Pete Rose did. Absolutely. I mean, it's cheating the game. Like, everyone steals signs, but, like, the way they were going about stealing signs, it ruins the integrity of the game. No, yeah. The way I see it is, like, I mean, the Pete Rose thing looks kind of, like, minuscule compared to everything that's going on with the Astros, the Red Sox. I'm just really surprised. Like, I I remember, like, I don't know where I get the notification. Pete Rose trying to reinstate himself. I'm like... Okay, that makes That's sense. Yeah, I'm like, I'm like, I'm like, we're too busy right now, Pete. We don't have time for you. We we need to focus on the real issue here. Maybe in a couple years, we'll see him back. I think. 
Uh, the MLB has really big grudges, so I don't know if it's going to happen, but let's hope for the best. I feel like if this buzzer, I feel like Rod Manfred has a ton of more information that hasn't been released yet concerning all of this. Like, there's no way that they're just sweeping this whole buzzer allegation thing under the rug. Because with those, with the footage of Altuve saying "Don't rip my jersey off" and immediately going into the clubhouse and changing out of his jersey, as opposed to celebrating, yeah. winning the pennant on the field with his teammates, so that looks bad alone. And the fact that they have pictures from a few years ago, like if you really zoom in on his jersey, you could see a lump. Though I feel like that's oh, not man, enough. That's a lot of that, yeah, yeah, you see that in a lot of pictures. Because at the same time, you could say that they're just trying to monitor his bodily functions. Yeah. So, because a lot of athletes have that happening. So, like, it becomes tough to, you know, say that's what it is for sure. But if it is, like, let's say Manfred does know a lot, he's going to sweep it under the rug, I feel like. Because you don't want to blow this thing up where, to the point where you have to ban Jose Altuve for life. Because if that is true, and it does blow up, that's a lifetime ban. Yep. You can't be doing that. That's ten times worse than anything else we've ever seen. You might as well just fold up the whole Astros organization if that's the case. Because Springer'd be gone, Bregman'd be gone. Because they're both in on it, too. The Astros will be the new Orioles? Um, the Astros were the original Orioles. Yeah, they... Let's see if the Orioles come up out of the Astros like the <laughs> Astros have. <laughs> in a much tougher division. So Mookie bets to the Los Angeles Dodgers, unconfirmed, but like 99.8% chance that's going to go down. I can see it now. on the writing on the wall, two, 2020 World Series... Los Angeles Dodgers against the New York Yankees. I mean, I would just probably watch the World Series for fun, hoping that neither team wins in seven. A tie. Hoping that the Angels cash in their money in the bank briefcase to make it a triple threat. (laughs) (laughs) That would be ideal. Did you you guys see that meme on the Super Bowl, Chiefs 49ers? Like, wait, what's that? Bill Belichick, he's cashing in his money in the bank. Good times. You see him flaunting his World Series ring like the awkward piece of shit that he is. Oh, my God. Like, he literally went two hands into the camera. He didn't have six. He only had three, though. Yeah, he didn't want to show off too much. He didn't want to do the Jordan. He didn't want to do the Jordan with his posing with his hand under his chin with all six rings. (laughs) That would have been great. That would have been amazing. That would have been the most Bill Belichick troll ever. I mean, he was going to get booed out of the building regardless. Why not? Just go full heel. (laughs) You guys think Brady's leaving? I don't know what's going on there. How cool would it be if he went to Oakland, though? You got Gruden and Brady, or not Oakland, excuse me. Las Vegas, baby. The betting capital of the world for all you MyBookie followers out there. But how cool would that be? I mean, that's a drive away to go see Brady play in, uh, sorry, Las Vegas, Nevada. The Las Vegas Raiders. I'm not going to get used to that. See, I would feel bad, though, because uh, good old Mr. Carr is from my hometown. So I root for him. Bakersfield, the armpit of California. Football is a business. It is a business, though. Yeah, poor. I mean, Derek Carr would probably end up in some other place, like the Dolphins or something. Yeah. Like he'll 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 still be a starting quarterback in the NFL. Oh yeah, true. The thing the the thing here is that I've been hearing a lot of things. I'm a Chargers fan. Poor me. I've been hearing a lot of things about Brady going to the Chargers. I'm like, that's not gonna happen. Why are we, why are we making that a thing? Like, no. It was one take that some, I think it was Keith Bayless, who just said the Chargers should get Tom Brady, and everyone started freaking out about it. I'm like, it's not gonna happen. Tom Brady's not gonna move to LA. He's not gonna go to the Chargers. Well, he's from San Fran. 
It's not gonna go to LA. He's <laughs> not gonna play with the Chargers. I just think it's too much. We don't. The Chargers don't have the own line to protect him. He has the weapons for sure. He has Hunter Harry, Keenan Allen, and Mike Williams with Austin Eckler as the running back. But the O line is fragile. We're probably one of the worst O lines. Uh, the Chargers probably have one of the worst O lines in the NFL. And Philip Rivers is not gonna come back for the Chargers. Uh, he already made that statement. The team made that statement. So. It's either Tyra Taylor time or Justin, draft Justin, me a quarterback. <laughs> I don't want a Pac-12 quarterback in the Chargers organization. The last time I drafted a, the last time, <laughs> the last time we drafted a Pac-12 quarterback. Do you remember who it was? It was an ASU product. Yeah, Mike Bergervici. Mike Bergervici. How did that end up? He didn't even get off the third string court. He got killed in the AAF. The what? You heard me, the Alliance of American Football. What's that? It's dead is what it is. It's a tell all this time. XFL. I can't wait. I can't wait. Does it start tomorrow? Yeah. Yep. Are you going to be a Wildcat fan? Or the Dallas Renegades? It's one of those two. I'm still flipping a coin. I have the rosters on a spreadsheet right now going through to see who I'm going to root for. We're going to have to wait for that to evolve, marinate a little bit. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I want to. I want to see like the rules look extremely fun. It looks like a, it. It's either gonna be a massive boom, or it's just gonna fall to shreds. It's like the AAF. Well, what was wrong with it the first time when Vince thought of this? Vince tried to make it. Just idea. He tried to make it to entertainment. Yeah, entertainment. Friday. It was still the Attitude Era. <laughs> so dropping the people's elbow. Like yeah, well, yeah. Uh, like, helmet-to-helmet helmet hits were legal. Like, flags were, like... Oh. You can't, like... Yeah, the NFL, I feel like their rules are getting a little ridiculous. A little bit. Yeah. But, like, some rules you have to put in place to protect players' health. But I think this is going to look good because Vince threw his money at it, and he's one of the people that's helping run it. But I think he's got a lot of good football minds, and they went around it the right way mm-hmm. to where they took a lot of fan polls to what they want to see, and they factored in fantasy sports and the betting world and everything like that to try and make it as fan-friendly, better-friendly, and player-friendly as possible. Poor punters, though. Yeah, we we're, we're all for the brand here. Shout out Pat McAfee. But, uh, <laughs> uh, like, we, we love the special teams, and it looks like in the uh, XFL is going to be, like, not even a big deal. So, But kickoffs are going to be super fun. Oh, kickoffs are going to be interesting. Yes, I agree. Because everyone's standing within, like, two yards of each other at, like, the 30. Besides the kicker and the returner. And if you kick it through the back of the end zone, it's a third, it, you start at the 35 instead of the 25. Yes. <laughs> I'm all for that. The defenders have ex-Charger uh, quarterback, Cardell Jones. Yeah. Don't doubt him. He's going to be good. <laughs> well, we'll tune in tomorrow, noon, 
February 8th, you got that. You got UFC 247. John Bones Jones returns to the Octagon against Dominic Reyes. That's about all I know. Let's get to our Friday flashback interview of the week. American baseball collector Zach Hample talking MLB ballparks, his favorite balls, going on Conan O'Brien, saying how I was a better host than Conan O'Brien, though I don't believe that for one second. Nope, Jack's better. Thank you. Uh, agreed. I've only been in one podcast, and I already am over the moon. <laughs> first impressions. Yep. What can I say? Let's get to Zach Hample here, but first a quick message from TickPick. Maybe that would be number five. 
That was taken by Robinson Cano in 2009 at Yankee Stadium. Uh, probably, I would say a Derek Jeter home run that I caught in 2012. Career hit number 3,262. Then I might go with Barry Bonds, number 724 of his career. Then probably Mike Trout's first career home run. Oh, man, I was going to say A-Rod's 3,000 hit, but that, that basically fills up my five. And really, my all-time favorite is the last home run that the Mets ever hit at Shea Stadium. So I kind of miscounted a bit. But that, that gives you an idea of some of the top few that I've gotten, for sure. Yeah, those are a lot of good baseballs. And you have your own YouTube page. You've got thousands of subscribers. What? Judge 
jumped up, his glove came out of nowhere, and he caught that thing, I mean, probably less than a foot in front of my glove. So on a personal level, that was extremely frustrating and disappointing because I don't have a favorite team. So I always want to catch any baseball. I don't care who hits it. Obviously, for the Indians, it was heartbreaking. For the Yankees, it was amazing. And I've heard about it from fans on both sides. Indians fans were like, you should have reached over and caught it. We would have won the series. And, I mean, Yankee fans have told me, you know, good job for not interfering. And if you had, you know, you would have never been able to show your face in Yankee Stadium again after that, which I think is true. So, you know, I, I love being part of the game and catching baseballs that fly out of the field of play, but I don't want to insert myself into the game where I actually change the outcome. That's where I draw the line. But what a crazy, crazy moment. Yeah, and honestly, if you had reached out and caught that ball, the Indians would have won the series. The Yankees only won that game one nothing. That would have been a two-run shot. would have changed the entire postseason around. Crazy to think about the fact that I potentially single-handedly could have ended the Yankees' season, which is not uh, a responsibility that I want heaped upon my shoulders. You know, if I'm a major league player and I rob them of a home run and it ends their season, well, that's great, but a fan has no business doing that, and I really, you know, they obviously would have gone to instant replay, they would have looked at a side angle, they would have determined that the ball was going over the wall, and then they would have had to determine if Aaron Judge would have caught it, and at the time, I, I assumed that they would not have made that assumption, because you really can't do that, but then in this most recent postseason, with Mookie Betts in Houston, he jumped and was going to catch one, and the fans knocked it loose, and they did rule that as, uh, I forget how they, they ruled yeah, it was a catch. That, they would have, that he would have caught it, right? So, it's, umpires are strange, I guess you can't really predict, but there is a chance that I could have ended the Yankees' season if I had reached out and made a chest-high catch in front of Aaron Judge's glove. And I'm so glad that I didn't. You know, I, I really respect the game. And I, like I said, I don't want to do anything that changes the outcome of it since I'm a fan and not actually out there on the field. And since you live in New York, that probably wouldn't bode well for you in the end anyway. No. Uh, <laughs> so you said that that could have or would have been your first professional home run ball. Did you go to any games this postseason? Is that still the case that you haven't caught any postseason balls yet? Still no postseason home runs which is just killing me at this point. It's sort of like, you know, I got this monkey on my back. I got to get one. Although it really wasn't until a few years ago that I even started trying to get home runs in the postseason. You know, now Major League Baseball uses a commemorative ball in the postseason. For many years, they didn't. And if you go back even farther, they, they did used to for a few years in the late 90s. So a lot of times when I'm at postseason games, rather than sitting in the outfield and trying to catch a home run, I'm sitting closer to the action trying to get a toss-up or a foul ball so I can get that commemorative baseball for my collection. So, you know, even still, it's not a total priority, but it's definitely something that I want to do. And the Yankees are so good right now that it seems like they're going to be probably regular participants in the postseason. And, of course, it's really easy to hit home runs in that stadium. So if I keep going enough, they have to hit one eventually. And if Francisco Lindor had hit that ball maybe – 18 inches farther, I definitely would have caught it. So you've been, well, obviously you've been to every stadium. You've caught thousands of baseballs. What out of every baseball you've ever caught is the most unorthodox or unlikely way you've ever caught or received a baseball from someone? You know, I've thought about this a lot, and I actually have an answer for this. And it's really, it's really strange. 
if people aren't too familiar with the layout, they might have a tough time visualizing it. But Shea Stadium, the Mets' old ballpark, had very few seats in fair territory in the main part of the stadium. They had a bleacher section out in left center, but you really couldn't get out there because it was reserved for groups, and sometimes it just went completely unsold. So the seats in the main part of the stadium just barely hooked around the foul pole, maybe about 40 feet or so. So for a home run to be hit where you could catch it, it, you really had to pull it down the line. So I was up in the second deck, the loge level, the blue seats, all the way out in the very corner spot past the foul pole. And I think it was Tsuyoshi Shinjo who hit a batting practice home run kind of right at me, but it just didn't quite hook back toward me enough down the left field line. So I reached out as far as I could out of the stands. Basically, if you look straight down, the bullpen is down below you. The ball tipped off the very edge of my glove, but it didn't even really deflect much or change direction. So it continued on its trajectory, cleared the bullpen, and landed in this open-air sort of walkway all the way down at street level that connected the main part of the stadium to the bleachers, but it was meant as like an employee walkway where the vendors would cart food back and forth. So, And I saw the ball sitting there right out in the open, but tucked up against a side wall, and employees were walking right past it, and nobody even saw it. So I went all the way down, and there was a guard sitting on a chair, like reading a newspaper, not even looking up at people going past him. And so I, I just walked right past him into this employee area, and he never even noticed me. Like, this is basically how the Mets run things. It's total chaos. Total chaos. Um, and I walked right out there, went and picked up the ball, walked right back past this guard. He never saw me, didn't care, great security. Um, but that's really the weirdest way that I ever got a ball that I can remember. That's, that's really funny. Yeah. It shows a lot about how the Mets run things, or at least how they used to run things. A little bit about the Mets. They just brought in Brody Van Wagenen as their general manager. He says he plans to win now with what he's got, going to keep DeGrom, keep Syndergaard. What do you think of the Mets move bringing in this guy who has no GM experience and says he plans to win now? And if he does plan to win now, who do you really think that they could potentially sign in the offseason? I don't really like this move a whole lot. You know, the Mets are, the Mets make a lot of questionable decisions. And this is definitely one way to shake things up. I don't know that shaking things up for the sake of shaking things up is the way to get things done. This guy was an agent. He obviously has an impressive set of skills evaluating players. But if that's the case, then why aren't more agents becoming general managers? So, look, I'll still give him a chance before I hurl any insults his way, but it's it's definitely kind of a head-scratching move. The Mets definitely have enough pitching. I think they got to go out and get some guys who can hit and stay healthy. You know, Cespedes was supposed to be their guy, but he can't stay on the field. And, I don't know, just some of their guys are a bit old. Michael Conforto needs to become the superstar that they want him to become. So, the Mets are close, but they just can't really seem to stay healthy and put it together and be consistent. And it's becoming a really tough division. We'll see where Bryce Harper goes. If he stays in D.C., what the Nats are going to do. They, the Nationals, of course, are supposed to be good every year. Suddenly the Braves are really good. The Phillies are getting better. So to Walter right in and say, oh, we're going to win right now at the Mets, it's a tough division, and they still have some work to do. So I can definitely see them 
being a 500 team and making a run at the wild card, but I don't see them walking away with this division, even if they do go out and make a big free agent signing. Right, and of course they have a middleman in that division with the Phillies and Braves, and you always got to question whether or not that they can actually go through with their promises as they've had one winning season in the last decade. But who knows? Um, the biggest topic of discussion in the past 24 hours, at least in my world, is Shohei Otani winning the American League Rookie of the Year. And I can't help but ask myself why Miguel Andahar didn't win it. And the fact that it wasn't even close is astonishing to me. Who do you personally think should have won the AL Rookie of the Year, Shohei Otani or Miguel Andahar? Um, I think I would have given it to Otani. Ballpark number three, 
Globe Life Park, Arlington, Texas, number two, and Camden Yards in Baltimore, number one. Amazon 
just for an hour or two because the sales rankings are always shifting every hour. But for a moment, I was actually ahead of one of the Harry Potter books just for, like, you could blink your eye. <laughs> there you go. That, that was definitely the best interview as far as me enjoying it, coming across well, and having it really have a big effect on my career and my writing and livelihood. It was just like everything came together all at that one moment. And the worst interview you've ever done. Oh, well, you already mentioned his name a couple minutes ago, <laughs> Conan O'Brien. You didn't like him? When he was hosting that. Uh, so I'm, I'm glad that I helped contribute to the demise of his show because he was a first-class prick. <laughs> I will go on the record and say that a thousand times. I've never been treated so badly by any host on any show, and I've hung up on radio hosts who were not as rude to me as Conan was. But when you're on stage on The Tonight Show, you don't just get up and walk away. But he was so insulting and had absolutely no interest in anything that I had to say. And I understand it's late night TV and you make fun of people, but you also have to just shut the hell up at one point and let your guest have a word or two. And when he kept cutting me off, when I even tried to talk about my charity work, after his producer had promised me that Conan would ask me about my charity work, I was I was furious. And I don't know that you can tell that by watching the interview, but he really, really sucked. And, uh, yeah, I officially hate Conan O'Brien. <laughs> and that was just strictly all uh, on-screen stuff, like the questions you'd ask me, not any, like, behind-the-scenes stuff? Like, did you no, talk I didn't him? interact with him at all other than what was up on stage there. You know, for a moment before the segment started and for a moment afterwards. But, yeah, he was just... He was awful. I didn't even realize it at the time so much, but just going back and watching it, 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 it he was bad. He's, he, he's an example of someone who doesn't deserve to be as famous as he is. Because he, you know, I was, I was on Jay Leno a year earlier, and Leno can be funny without being jackass. But Conan is sort of like, Conan is like the bully at school that has to put you down in order to get laughs. And I just, I can't stand people like that in my personal life. And he just gave off this really icky vibe. So, you know, let everybody, you know, checking out this interview right here, be aware of the fact that Conan sucks. Hear that, everybody. Conan O'Brien, not the go-to uh, late-night show host. So, nope. Watch someone else. <laughs> so you talked about it many times. You've caught over 10,000 baseballs. What, how, what are the most baseballs you've ever gotten in one game? 36 in one game in Cincinnati on my birthday in 2011. There you go. Your birthday. Um, so a few more questions here. You've written multiple books. Tell me a little bit about your latest book in 2014, The Art of the Snag, which is a fan's guide to catching Major League Baseballs. Sure. So that book is actually a portion of my book called The Baseball, which came out in 2011. And the final third of The Baseball is called How to Snag Major League Baseballs. And that was the name of my very first book, which came out in 99. So, quick recap, wrote a book in 99 teaching people how to catch balls. I basically revised and rewrote that whole thing and made that the final third of my book, The Baseball in 2011. And then the publisher was like, hey, we should just take that final third portion, teaching people how to snag baseballs, and send it back out there into the world as an ebook. So that's basically how that came to be. And the story of The Art of the Snag is really a story of my first book ever, which was 
after my freshman year in college, when I was 19, my dad, who was a writer, suggested that I write a book. I had a job lined up that fell through for the summer, and my parents were not the kind of folks that would just let me sit around doing nothing, so it was like, well, what are you going to do with yourself? So my dad helped me outline a book, and I ended up writing it, and it got sent there, out there into the world, and got rejected a lot at first, but finally got picked up by Simon Schuster, and that kind of put me on the map, I guess, just as far as being a baseball person that people were aware of, and everything kind of built from there, so, you know, that's that's sort of the, the roundabout story of that book. And I know Colleen didn't ask you about it, but I'm going to ask you about it, since these things are important to talk about, you're a charity called Pitching for Baseball. Well, thank you very much. <laughs> already much nicer guy than Conan O'Brien with much better interviewing skills. So before the before the 2009 season got underway, I decided that I wanted to do something charitable with my collection and notoriety in the baseball world. And I had this idea of joining forces with the charity and getting people to pledge money for all the balls that I catch over the course of the season. And then that money would basically add up and, and go to the charity at the end. And I was in touch with a few different charities and finally picked Pitching for Baseball. And what they do is they provide baseball and softball equipment to underserved children and communities all over the world. They basically help kids get out there and play ball who otherwise would not be able to. So I think it's a great cause. And I've actually done a fundraiser for them every year starting in 2009, so this is the 10th year that I've done it, and I've raised over $200,000, uh, 150000 of which came from the New York Yankees in exchange for A-Rod's 3,000-hit baseball, so I've had a lot of help along the way and just lots of generous people out there, and it feels great to have made a difference in the baseball community, which I think also translates into the world at large, you know, kids... They need a, an outlet to get exercise and to participate in positive activities. And it's not just about baseball and softball, but it's about life and exercise and making friends and team building and all that stuff. So it's a pretty cool thing to be able to get behind. Ben, like, sporad or sporadically, like, started doing this and became a big thing. Did you ever think you'd blow up the way you did and becoming, like, the American ball hawk? I never thought that this would happen. I thought it was possible, but I didn't really see the path toward doing it. I thought that I was going to have to get on TV somehow or be a columnist for a national publication, but basically work for some big media outlet. I didn't think that I could basically self-generate the whole thing, which I've done on YouTube, again, with help along the way from people who've advised me and videographers that I've worked with and people who've had some great ideas and helped a lot, but um, I, I always knew that this could become really big. Back when I was writing a blog starting in 2005, just how much that took off, and it's just, it's like a lot of things. It's like, you know, there's a lot of people out there who are really, really good at what they do, but they just don't have a big enough audience, or there's just not enough people who are aware of them or who have come across their work, whether they're actors.
actors or artists or musicians or chefs or you know maybe there's like a great doctor or massage therapist who's great at healing people but they just aren't able to get the word out and if people only knew they'd be huge and I kind of I kind of sense that that could be my situation it's just if, if more people were aware of me they'd really appreciate what I could do and you know, after all these years, YouTube kind of became the platform for me that enabled me to get myself out there more and reach a bigger audience. And it's super exciting. I, again, I never expected it. I never was trying to become famous or to make money. But once I realized that there was a possibility to do this as a career, rather than, you know, stuff that I've been doing for many years which really didn't excite me I, I obviously pursued it and the last question before I let you go you got into it a little bit how the Yankees gave you 150000 for your donation for the A-Rod uh, 3000 pit ball tell me the story of catching A-Rod's 3000 pit and going through that whole two week period where you initially decided not to give it back and then eventually reached the deal with the Yankees and meeting A-Rod in, in front of the press that was so crazy and you know I could tell this story to give you the, the one minute version uh, June 19th 2015 A-Rod sent his 3,000 hit flying out my way in right field and I was lucky enough to come up with the ball I didn't even catch on the fly it just rattled around and you know just it's really amazing when I think back to how I came up with it I was immediately surrounded by security and they whisked me off to the lowest level of the stadium below the stands to the you know to the office of the head of Yankee security and he congratulated me and started offering me a whole bunch of stuff in exchange for the ball and I told him thanks I appreciate that but there's really nothing that you guys can offer me that would be worth more to me than the ball itself so I'm going to keep it and I wasn't trying to be a dick about it I just really wanted the ball and you know that the story just got out there in the media that I was holding out and being rude and wasn't going to give A-Rod the ball and it, I just really wasn't thinking about it too much at that point um, I just I wanted the ball or I at least wanted to take the ball home with me that night and think about it before I just gave it right back or or decided I was going to sell it like whatever it was I just wanted to think about it and Charity came up pretty quickly in the conversation I actually met with Randy Levine the Yankees president the night that I got the ball that's when he first suggested a charitable donation. And I realized pretty quickly that that's actually what I wanted to do. So it took a few days to work out a deal between the Yankees and the charity. And by the time a deal was in place, the Yankees had left New York on an eight-day road trip. So I couldn't have given the ball back at that point. And so that's why the baseball ended up in my possession for two weeks. It could have been as little as you know five or six days. But the Yankees were gone. And they wanted, obviously, me to hand the ball directly to A-Rod at a press conference. And the Yankees told me not to say anything about it. They wanted to announce it. And so I was just getting kind of beat up by the media all that while. People were, people just assumed that I wasn't going to give it back and that I was being greedy. And the whole time I knew that I was going to give it back for nothing except money for charity. So it was a pretty stressful time in my life. It was fun, definitely, being in the center of it all. But, yeah, it was... It was so, there was so much negativity and it was so stressful for a while that I even questioned if I would have picked up that baseball if I had it to do all over again. 
and I saw it there sitting on the ground like I did. So, you know, ultimately I'm glad, but that was definitely the craziest two weeks of my life. And what was your original plan with it? I mean, given it was a very historic baseball, were you going to sell it or just keep it in your collection? My initial thought was I'm going to just keep this ball, and it's just going to be something that I will look at and cherish every single day, and every fan, every friend that I ever come across who wants to see it, you know, I was, I think it, you know, it was going to reach a lot of people, um, but it was always going to remain in my possession or in my family's possession. That's, that's really what I wanted. Um, but I realized that it just had a lot more potential to be back in A-Rod's possession and it could do more good for the world if I gave it up for the charity, so, you know, I did that, and I, I also realized that just even keeping the baseball might have posed a safety risk, just to have anything that valuable in your home, and for everybody to know that it's in your home, kind of would have a target on my back a little bit, people might have just also been angry that I still had the ball, and, I don't know, I just, I didn't really want the stress and the scrutiny, and and I realized I could do something nice at the same time, so it just, it really became a no-brainer for me, actually pretty quickly in the process, that I wanted to do something charitable. And just sort of like the whole Aaron Judge robbing me thing, Francis Golden Door almost hitting the postseason home run, I just, like, I want to be involved in these things, but up to a certain point. And it was just, it was too much, and I really just kind of wanted to move on from it. And, and really, the the best part of the whole A-Rod thing was the experience of going through that. And the physical ball itself would be nice to have, but that wasn't the most important thing. So that's that was kind of my thought process um, behind that whole crazy scenario in my life. Special thanks again to Zach Hample. That'll do it for episode 154 on this Friday, presented by Belly Up Sports. Remember to follow Belly Up Sports on Twitter at, you guessed it, Belly Up Sports. And we're also sponsored by TickPick. Use the promo code OSHOW10, that's capital O-S-H-O-W-10, to get $10 off your next order using TickPick.com. You should have used TickPick, you bastards. And Mecca Nutrition, if you're into banging weights, eating steaks, and sleeping eights, use the promo code OSHOW20, that's capital O-S-H-O-W-20, for $20 off your next order at MeccaNutritionStore.com. Hit it, Hootie.
Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube. You know when you're listening to a true crime story that has an unbelievable plot twist that makes you stop in your tracks? That's what our podcast, People Are the Worst, brings you with each episode. I'm Rachel. And I'm Rebecca. We're identical twins who love true crime cases that make you say, didn't see that coming, and we hate the people responsible for them. Listen to People Are the Worst now on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts.